Principle number 17, the way of the will. Children should be taught A, to distinguish between I want and I will, B, that the way to will effectively is to turn our thoughts from that which we desire but do not will, C, that the best way to turn our thoughts is to think of or do some quite different thing, entertaining or interesting, D, that after a little rest in this way, the will returns to its work with new vigor. This adjunct of the will is familiar to us as diversion, whose office it is to ease us for a time from will effort, that we may will again with added power. The use of suggestion as an aid to the will is to be deprecated, as tending to stultify and stereotype character. It would seem that spontaneity is a condition of development, and that human nature needs the discipline of failure as well as of success. The Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. When I'm reading, and I'm sure my husband is unlikely to pick up that book, I like to take notes in my books. Call it conversing with the author, or leaving a trail for my children to follow one day, but it's something I like to do. Now, most of chapter 8 in Mason's sixth volume of Philosophy of Education is filled with scribbled numerous, ha, exactly, and ouch, burn, Mason. This chapter is cutting, inspiring, convicting, insightful, and hilarious all at once. It's Mason at her Masoniest. Hmm. We're nearing the end of our trek through Mason's 20 principles. Today marks the 17th, but Mason is not winding down. She's not easing up, but she is tying the full picture of her philosophy of education together. And in doing that, she offers us a picture of two guides that form a child's intellectual and moral self-management, the way of the will and the way of the reason. Today, we're talking about the way of the will. If you didn't catch the primer episode from last time, I'll fill you in again that the will's function is to choose, to decide, and to prefer. We all have a will, and with every choice we make, we grow in our character, whether that be good or bad. Now, if our children have a strong will, like a truly strong will, not a modern-day difficult disposition type of will, they'll be able to govern or manage their passions and appetites. They'll be able to choose what's right, even if it's not what they want at the moment, and, on the other hand, be able to keep from doing what they want when it's wrong. They'll be able to manage themselves because, and this is very important, because their will is fixed on something outside of themselves. If our children have a weak will, they'll take the easy way of doing whatever they want at the moment. They'll be run by and in service of their own selves. And in this principle, Mason hammers that it takes zero action to serve the self. And that's been rolling around in my head for a few weeks. The idea that serving self requires no effort. We live in a culture of self. We're certainly not the first culture to be like that, but it's true of us now. 
When I listen to people reason out their explicit choice of self, I usually hear phrases mixed in like, oh, it feels so natural. This is so much easier. And I've even heard it's just so life-giving, which makes sense because one doesn't have to die to serve himself. One of the primary characteristics of a strong will is that it is fixed on something outside of itself. We hope that something is goodness, that it's God. We want our children to have such a vivid picture of the flourishing life in the kingdom of God that they choose to die to themselves day after day after day, that they opt out of the path of least resistance, of the fake siren's call of living, and find that the path of life is one found in daily choices, decisions, and preferences of the will. It's choose this day whom you will serve. So we need to ask, are we helping our children in the small decisions of will choose God or self? I know, that was a pretty big question to lob at you, and obviously none of us are aiming to teach our children to choose self. But we are, all of us, a mixed bag of goodness and sin, muddled together in the things we think, love, and do. But I have good news for you about this principle. Mason was entirely reasonable. She's clear that the will rises and falls, and that one of the secrets of living is to tide over the times of fall in willpower. She means that we're all going to fail, and struggle to choose the right ideas. But we have to pick ourselves back up and continue the pilgrim's plod. It's slow growth, for you and your kids. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's tick by tick, right? What I find so interesting about the way of the will is that we actually already know exactly what to do to strengthen it. Mason is pulling her principles together, and here we see how our three instruments of education, the atmosphere, discipline, and life, teach a child's conscience and motivate the will to choose rightly. Right thinking on part of the will flows from the spark of an idea, and we know all about ideas. When we say that education is life, we mean that we offer our children a steady diet of living ideas. Right thinking requires a deep knowledge of the best ideas, which are found in books and images and the histories of peoples and nations. The stories, folk songs, poetry, logic, picture and composer studies, recitations, and hours in nature are the rooting ideas that calibrate a child's conscience over the course of their home education. They remember Betsy and Tacy and the 300 brave Spartans and Joshua and the Israelites and Robert Louis Stevenson's poems about table manners and Thumbelina and Always and Forever, Aslan and Eustace. You may be reading to children who elbow one another on the couch and fight over the last cookie, but you are giving them living pictures of virtue, vice, the flourishing life, and of what they may grow to be. I'm not trying to butter you up because I like read-alouds with my kids too. Mason says that it's through reading that children will learn to understand the will and the power of ideas. They'll begin to separate characters and decisions into two categories, those who are self-pleasing, impulsive, and self-seeking, and those who serve a standard of goodness outside of themselves. And from there, you can easily see how atmosphere and discipline come into play because we've already learned how the three tools work together. Your commonplace home life is one long lesson on right relationships with God, others, and things. For 18-ish years, you show your children in the way you live how to move in God's world, thinking, loving, and doing rightly. And you don't just show it, right? You use the instrument of discipline to help them learn habits of goodness, to help them practice every day until their norm is one of goodness. I know that when you hear that, the norm of goodness, it sounds great. Particularly if you're listening after bedtime when anything is possible once again. But tomorrow, when you're greeted by one child with the grumps and another whining about making their bed, I want you to remember this, those moments, 
those are the training ground of the will. For moms, this is the job. I say that to myself all the time. This is my work. It's not that your children are extra weak-willed or incapable of growing in these things. It's just that sometimes this takes time. Like you might still be teaching orderliness to a teenager just like you're still learning the habit of attention in your 30s. Your instruments of atmosphere, discipline, and life are what you need to touch every part of your child as an image bearer. Mason is driving this home, bringing the full scope of her principles together, showing off a pretty beautiful philosophy of education, if I do say so myself. So to get more specific here, what do you do if you have a child whose will is weak and he seems to have no self-management? Okay, but before I lay that out for you, I'm here to remind you that over in the Commonplace Patreon, I'll be sharing the bonus five for today's episode all about how I've had to reset our kids back towards goodness after we've gone completely off course. If you've somehow managed to not hear about the Patreon, just know that awaiting you are about 150 mother teachers who are thinking deeply together and enjoying a lot of Commonplace perks. Second, we're winding down the season, and I'd be so grateful if you'd take a minute to leave the Commonplace a review over on Apple Podcasts. It's a simple, fast way to help support the podcast and help other moms get their bearings in the classical Charlotte Mason world. All right, let's get back to it. How do we help those children? Number one, teach for what they need. When you're aware that your child's will is weak in a particular situation or with a particular idea, Consider how you might practice choosing the right thing together. Create scenarios and talk through them together. Have your child rehearse the right action by moving their bodies and practicing the right responses. Help your child think of how to avoid these situations or create a code word that signals to you they need help at the moment. Number two, teach them how to change their thoughts. This is Mason's go-to, self-redirection. I've watched my mother-in-law masterfully redirect all of her grandkids with an easy kindness that never fails, and whenever I think of Mason's 17th principle, I think of go-go. The trick is simple. You help a child turn their thoughts to something that captures their attention. If you're feeling like this is a gentle parenting trick that doesn't actually help teach a child, I'll gently remind you that scripture is full of the same idea. We're supposed to pay attention to what we think about, take our thoughts captive and change them, and dwell on what is lovely, noble, and true. So we show our kids how to do that when their will grows weak. Show them how to take a turn around the backyard for a bit of fresh air and sunshine, to sing a favorite song or say a favorite poem, to read a short picture book, to grab a snack, to think about the fun activity to come, to consider how they can outdo others with honor. Once they've had a few minutes, their will should once again be ready for battle. Number three, focus on the habits of obedience and attention. Unsurprisingly, the way of the will is difficult to build without the habits of obedience and attention. What is choosing goodness but obedience and practice? How can a child dismiss wandering thoughts without paying attention to them? So, be mindful of how often you repeat yourself. Be ready to help a child follow through on any command you give, which means, yes, you will be spending a good bit of time helping your children. Set time limits on work around the house and in school so that obedience and attention are both practiced and then allow natural consequences to occur. Number four, avoid the use of suggestion. You'll remember in Mason's fourth principle, she warns against the use of suggestion, but it is repeated at length in this chapter. Suggestion weakens the child's will because suggestion is, on one hand, doing the work of the will, and on the other hand, overwhelming the will. I think the most common way moms of young kids practice suggestion unknowingly is by reminding them repeatedly. Ooh, don't forget, we have to clean up our toys before we can go to the park. Did you remember? We can't go to the park until you clean up your toys. I know you really wanted to go to the park today, so let's clean up those toys. 
If your child cleans up their toys at that point, it was not because they willed themselves to do it. It is because you suggested it so often they were pushed in that direction. So maybe don't do that. Instead, grab the great books, help them practice goodness and thought, word and deed, get them out of doors, and set yourself to the task of forming their conscience with every bit of truth, goodness, and beauty available to you. Mason says that the will guards the city of man's soul, which is, you know, man's soul. Knowing the city is the key to protecting the city, because your child must care. The riches of man's soul have to be shown to your child. They must hear, see, taste, feel, and smell the kindness of God through the common and uncommon things of life, of home, and of education. Their imagination, affections, loyalties, and thoughts have to be directed to the only place where they'll find satisfaction and joy. We can't control our children's will. We can't actually command their attention or choose for them in any way that doesn't ultimately harm them. But when we teach the habit, when we set the tone and lay out the school books, we're offering our children a picture of their inheritance. The hard-earned wisdom of those who pursued truth, goodness, and beauty and found, in the end, virtue, which is the prize for loving the right things at the right time and in the right way. That's the gift of a strong will and service to God. And this? Well, all of this is for the city of man's soul. I'll see you guys in two weeks.